Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome into Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is May 1st, 2017, and this is episode 199. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. And on today's show, we'll visit with a man who's got a few Orioles fans' probs, Ryan Blake. And we're also going to jump to conclusions based on the immense results of April. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. It's time. For the drink of the week. Scotty, what are you drinking? Jake, I am embarking on a, a Duclaw Sweet Baby Jesus. This is actually my first time ever having this. It's a chocolate peanut butter porter. And what are your feet? And how does that make you feel? Well, actually, let me take a sip one second. This is good radio right here. Mm-hmm. Meh, not bad. For what everyone says, it's like one of the best beers they've ever had. Meh. All right. Chocolate and peanut butter and beer. Doesn't really go for it. For two me. of these things, two any two of those things can go together. Chocolate porter, yes. Peanut butter and beer. I just feel like I dip, drop my like pretzel onto it or something like that. I am drinking a homemade pineapple margarita uh, made at my my own bar. I thought it was gonna be a gin palmer, but it's quite good. Yeah, it's quite good. You should tell us what you are drinking. Uh, check us out on Untapped. We uh, we let you know what we're drinking on a day to day basis. I'm at Jake E four zero two five. I'm at M A G N eight six zero six. And hey, Jake, we had someone check in with us uh, with their drink of the week this week. John Barry uh, checked in from uh, actually Ireland, um, and he checked in uh, with a two hundred fathoms from Galway Bay Brewery, which I had never heard before. But apparently, it is a bourbon barrel aged uh, stout Russian imperial. Um, looks mighty tasty with a nice little wax seal at the top. Uh, apparently, it can only be found in Ireland. So, um, hey, send some over. Sounds like a field trip opportunity. Yeah, exactly. So, if we do that, we can expense report that, right? And we'll get reimbursed. Absolutely. All right. By HR, whatever, we actually get some money. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. Well, with that, let's go ahead and uh, I guess we'll go ahead and walk gingerly into the medical wing. It's only going to tickle a little, unless you're with the Mets. Let's go ahead and uh, start with the first one. Zach Britton, going to be coming back on Tuesday, going to be activated by the club. Thank goodness. Yeah, he uh, he's missed. He's missed. But the important thing with Zach Britton is that there doesn't appear to be any waffling about whether or not he's ready to come back and actually pitch like Zach Britton. There's no, well, no. we're hedging our bets. No. We're hoping Zach's for the ready. best. We've been told... By all accounts, 
that Zach Britton is ready. You're right. The Orioles would never lie <laughs> in that regard. Speaking about people potentially coming back soon, Chris Tillman uh, continues to make rehab start after rehab start, getting himself ready to potentially come and finally start for the Baltimore Orioles. Chris Tillman is not dead. This is an excellent sign. Scotty, have we seen anything to make us feel better about his velocity and his rehab starts? Not at all. Okay. 88, 89 miles per hour in the last start. But apparently, velocity doesn't matter. And uh, the line and the box score doesn't matter either. So we shouldn't be worried that Tillman's only throwing up 88 to 89 miles per hour right now. Are we going to be able to, to make the playoffs on how Chris Tillman feels? Uh, I think we saw what happened last year when uh, Chris Tillman played with his feels as opposed to his velocity. All right. Can Chris Tillman pitch in this league at 89 to, to 90? Can I just tell you something? Birds I've used Montero should be playing with their feels. <laughs> that's a t-shirt right there. Playing with their feels. I'm not sure that's a good idea. Caleb Joseph, however, would be playing with his feel. <laughs> that is true. You know who's also potentially playing with some issues right now, and that's Wellington Castillo. I was terrified of that segue, but well I, done. I know. <laughs> Don't be such a spaz. Yeah. So uh, Wellington uh, out for a few days, it seems like, with some neck spasms. Uh, everyone, let's just say, jumped to conclusions and thought much worse when he was removed from the lineup. He's day-to-day with uh, a neck. Apparently, he's still got a neck. That's a good thing. And one last addition to the medical wing. Do you remember our Rule 5 draft pick? Uh, he's still hiding. I mean, he's still on the uh, disabled list. Anthony Santander, or however you say it. He's from the Red Sox organization, right? I believe so. All right. He's still down there with a... <clears throat> a something. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. So I wonder when we'll see him surface again. Um, I don't know. Probably when there's another brawl or something. Yeah, either that or... Many of the other outfielders will have to fail first, but that means that we'll inevitably, hopefully, see Kim first, right? That's what I'm hoping for. But what I'm really hoping for is that we can go through a quick synopsis synopsis of 140 characters less for this week on the Twitters. So, Jake, I've got to start with this tweet because it's one of my favorites of the week, and it's my favorite part about Orioles games as well. This comes from This Is Birdland at O's underscore Birdland. Palmer moaning in amazement of home runs is my favorite sound on the planet, Jake. If I could isolate that sound every single time Adam Jones hits a ball or Manny Machado hits a ball 400 feet long, if I'm goes, oh, that would be my ringtone every single time. It would get looks, but uh, it would be well worth it. I want to uh, I want to throw out a bit of a tip of the cap to Andrew Stecka, uh, who, of course, tweets at Andrew Stecka. I asked for some magic at the end of a game on Twitter the other day. And, uh, well, I was told something. So you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Hey, you, you got, you lose. Good day, sir. Yeah. The game didn't end up the way I wanted it to, but Andrew, thanks for taking the sting out of it with a little humor. With a little Gene Wilder. So wait, hold up. This can't be right. Um, this tweet comes from James Smith at James Smith 621. He tweets, Seth Smith's Little League home run, according to at Sabre Database, first Little League home run for Orioles since Boog Powell on August 11th, 1966. I think this is an alternative fact. I think this is fake news. There's no way. How can Boog Powell have a Little League home run? (laughs) (laughs) How has it been that long? I mean, I know it's rare, but good Lord, that's a lot of at-bats. Boog Powell, okay? Yeah, well, you know, what are you going to do? Next I'm a little confused, Scott, and I need you to walk me through this. All right. Uh, Tom Jones, who tweets at Steel Baru, uh, says, Shrimp! Bird's eye view, B-A-L. 
and then provides a video of a shrimp running on a treadmill to the Benny Hill theme. Yeah. Explain this to me as if I were a small child. So we covered this during the first week of the show this year. I said I came across a baseball term that I had not known before, and it's shrimp. And a shrimp is a walk-off win when there's a walk at the end of the game. So, Jake, you were at this game. You the walk-off walk-off. You saw the walk-off 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 walk, and you never used the term shrimp or even posted the video. Tom had to come in and save you because at least he listens to the show and the words that come out of my mouth, as opposed to you just going, ooh, Beatles. I'm sorry, and you are? I am your best friend, but that just shows how sad our existence is. Oh, that was an ugly play in left field. Sorry, I wasn't listening. What did you say? Uh, next tweet that we want to go to is Ryan from- Flaherty is a great left fielder. I'm just going to say that. If that does not get gift, by the way, bottom of third with two outs, folks, uh, make that happen because that was probably the most ugliest play I've ever seen in left field. Next tweet comes to us from Camden Chat, who tweets at Camden Chat. Let's be honest. The Orioles have been on the right end of a lot of bullshit wins so far this year. So they were overdue for this. And yes, that's a pretty good way to summarize what exactly happened on Friday and Saturday and almost, almost on Sunday. Sunday. You know, Jake, I'm having a tough time with the season so far. I think we need to go ahead and well, bring somebody in to try to steer us in the right direction of what to make out of April. It's the end of April, and the Orioles, well, they're confusing. They had a great month, but they just got stomped in the Bronx. They're winning, but not hitting. They're pitching well enough, but the best performances are coming from the rotation, while the bullpen has been somewhat unstable as of late. Left is right. Up is down. Cats and dogs living together. It's mass hysteria. And with that backdrop, we turn to Ryan Blake to help us make sense of it all. Or, if not, to help make fun of it all. Ryan, thanks so much for joining Bird's Eye View. Hey, what's going on, guys? I'm happy to be back on the show. I think it's my uh, second appearance, and the uh, first one was fun, so looking forward to another one. Well, we appreciate you sullying yourself yet again. Uh, let me ask you, where the heck are you, and what are you up to these days? Uh, that's a good question. I'm up to a lot. Uh, I'm sitting out in my car uh, so that we have nice, uh, nice acoustics uh, outside of this big cinder block hotel. Um, I'm in San Antonio, Texas traveling the country with Ripken Baseball, uh, which is super cool to me because I get to call Cal and Billy Ripken my bosses. Um, we're traveling the country, and I have been for the past month, putting on uh, free youth baseball clinics sponsored by Chevrolet, and uh, I'm having an absolute blast. It's the time of my life. Wow. I mean, it, how did you get involved with this? Was it just as an open call, or did you happen – like, how did how did you even come across this before? Well, I was actually referred by a friend who's on the tour with me. Um, from, from my understanding, Rifkin sent a couple of guys down to the winter meeting, uh, which was which were in Maryland this year. Um, I was unable to make it, unfortunately, but um, they Rifkin was looking for people to do this uh, Chevy tour, is what they call it. And uh, a buddy of mine was doing it. Uh, he got the job, was told that they had an extra spot. So uh, he 
referred me to uh, the man in charge. I set up an interview, interviewed over the phone. Um, I had a little bit of competition, but fortunately not a whole lot. And um, I was lucky enough to uh, get an email a few days later that said they were excited to bring me on. And uh, I, I couldn't be happier. So, I'm having a blast, like I said. So what I'm hearing is anybody that was accepted went on this tour. Anybody got rejected basically went to the Aberdeen Ironbirds and formed their roster for this upcoming year. Something like that, yeah. Okay. So we, we party fouled, Jake, in, in terms of this. We jumped right into the heart of our segment with Ryan, but failed to register the most important topic, which is, Ryan, what is your drink of the week? My drink of the week, uh, I'm, I was excited for you to ask me that. Uh, it's a Modelo, which is a, a Mexican brew. Um, I had my first one out in L.A. at a Dodgers game just last month. Uh, we saw the Dodgers play the Padres. And um, I got a beer at the stand. It was a Modelo. It came in a little plastic cup with the logo on it. And um, since then, we've ended up in Texas. We, we were in Texas for a couple weeks before this, and then we went out. Uh, into Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas. Now we're back in Texas. And actually last night, uh, scratch that the night before last, I was in the elevator going back up to my room. And these two Mexican guys came in with uh, a cooler. And uh, they said something that I didn't understand, chuckled a little bit, opened the cooler, and asked if I wanted a beer. And they handed me a Modelo. So uh, Modelo has to be my drink of the week, I think, in honor of uh, those two instances. Do you remember what happened with the rest of your evening after you had this drink offered to you by some strange Mexican gentleman in the elevator. I do. I actually saved it for the next day because uh, <laughs> I was really tired and uh, just threw it in the fridge, saved it for the next day for a little pregame down for the river walk. So folks so we remember went down there last night. So folks remember if you need to save some money and not throw away that really expensive Modelo beer, make sure you save it for the next day because it holds its quality through the night, basically. We need we need to not bust his chops on this one. It is a definitely a step up from uh, cider and uh, fireball whiskey. You, you're right, and you got to give me the benefit of the doubt. I'm just 22, so I'm still learning these like classier beers, the IPAs and all that fun stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get on my feet in that regard. All right, we'll, all right. We'll, we'll accept. We'll, we'll accept it as a. Um, at least you have training wheels on your bike now. So congratulations. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. So weekend in New York. Um, it was uh, an up and down weekend at, at best. Um, but let me ask you this question: There was a few posts on Twitter. Um, but I, I certainly felt like with every passing loss that occurred this weekend, I felt like the O's were getting closer and closer to the abyss, which is going to be post two thousand eighteen. Watching the Yankees trout people out there, such as um, Aaron Judge, Starling Castro, and then even Sanchez being on the DL, you just look at it and say, my God, how are the Orioles going to be able to compete with this roster, especially with a payroll that's going to expand in the next year or two? Um, so the Yankees got young and talented in a hurry. The Orioles took 14 years to get pretty good, and uh, they're completely thin in their farm system. Um, Ryan, tell me why I shouldn't be concerned going forward when uh, I see the Yankees um, trotting out pretty much a, a superstar class for the next 10 years. You know what? I, uh, I'm, to be, truth be told, I'm very concerned about the Yankees. <laughs> I think they're going to be a powerhouse for years to come. Uh, as you know, I'm kind of used to that. It's been a nice couple of years having them regress a little bit. But um, one of my, my buddies on this tour is a Yankees fan, and, and we talk about this a great deal, actually. And uh, coming into the season... He had pretty low expectations. He thought the Yankees were still a year or two out. 
And uh, now he's, you know, rubbing Oliver and Judge's home runs in my face and saying that when Gary Sanchez comes back, it's going to be the most prolific offense in baseball. And, you know, that there's a lot going like on over there. Fan I, at all. Part of me wants to believe that they're overperforming. Uh, but on the other hand, I don't, I don't see any reason to believe that they're going to regress anytime soon. It's a very talented team. You mentioned Aaron Judge. You mentioned Gary Sanchez. Uh, Castro's been playing well. They have Didi Gregorius back in the lineup. Uh, Luis Severino looks like he's figured something out. Uh, Pineda, I believe, is off to a pretty solid start. So they've they've got a lot of wheels churning, and um, you know they're a good team. I'm just I'm hoping that maybe there's a little bit of regression that, that's waiting to happen in there. Well, I mean, I think it comes back to you look at the Yankees and you look at how many top 100 prospects they've had, and then you look at the Orioles and you look at well, I take that back. Top 100 prospects are really not existence for the Baltimore Orioles, uh, <laughs> and, and, and it just comes back to the point of there's a ton of talent on there and it's not just a ton of talent getting lucky all at the right time. It's just a ton of talent that is going to eventually progress and mature um, into uh, to a very good team. I, I guess my one question is when you look at the Yankees and you look at the Orioles, do you think to a certain regard the Yankees had the ability to kind of, I guess, make take more riskier situations. And I'm going to bring up a name that um, I know is near and dear to your heart is Miguel Gonzalez. The Orioles had to get rid of Miguel Gonzalez um, right before the season, not this season, but prior prior seasons, um, basically to save $3 million. A team like the New York Yankees doesn't care about $3 million. They sneeze $3 million. Yeah, that that is in the couch cushions, as it were. That's, you know, international draft pick. That's one international draft pick for the New York Yankees, whereas the Orioles have to look and choose and figure out where they're going to basically get $3 million and on occasion trade a draft pick in order to get $3 million back. So I, I guess my question is, Ryan, like, is there anything the Orioles can do to perennial be uh, there with the Yankees, or is it worthwhile just to say, hey, we're going to go out for five or six years, and then the Yankees and the Red Sox are going to be great like they normally always are, and it's going to take another five or six years, or hopefully not 14 years, for us to bounce back into being able to compete with those big market teams? Unfortunately, I think I'd have to go with the latter there. I mean, if you you said, you asked me if I think that the Orioles can keep up, and I think in order to do that, they would have to go back in time a little bit and make some uh, some different moves. Um, you mentioned Miguel Gonzalez, who's playing very well for the uh, the White Sox. Although they did give up 14 runs uh, yesterday, I believe it was. Not 14 runs, 14 hits. Um, you know, you look at Andrew Triggs, who's off to a 4-1 a and one start with an ERA under 2 for the Athletics, who looked like a, you know, a diamond dozen bullpen arm for the Orioles as long as he was in the system. Um, you know, I think... Duquette has done nothing to make me believe that the Orioles are going to be in contention, especially after um, the 2018 season when guys like um, Adam Jones, Manny Machado, Chris Tillman, Zach Britton will all hit the open market. Um, you know, I, I've I've become more frustrated with Duquette as the years have gone by, uh, just because I feel like he's a little bit too content with being good and not quite good enough to, to take it to the next step. And I understand the argument that, you know, if you're good enough to make it to the postseason, you're good enough to win a World Series, and it's all kind of a crapshoot from that point on. It's and it's almost like that. his contract ends at the end of 2018. <laughs> hmm. It's interesting yeah. that it works out I, that uh, way. I I would be all in favor of bringing back Andy McPhail, as crazy as that seems. Well, unfortunately, um, I, I believe the Phillies are going to have an issue with that's that. That's not in the cards. But, yeah. Um, let me let me ask you this: um, Have you thrown up on the Abaldo Jimenez experience ride yet? Have I given up on it? Have you thrown up on the ride yet? The ups, oh, the oh, downs. Um, 
a few times. Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, he's, you know, he's the Orioles were four and zero in his first four starts this season, while he was putting up pretty awful numbers. Um, he's off to statistically, I think, the worst like five start stretch of his his time in Baltimore. Um, he's, mm, I don't know. I would I would rather have Miguel Gonzalez still on the team than Baltimore. I'll put it that way. Do you think that the Orioles are going to cut bait at this point? I mean, do you think that even in a system as wretched as the Orioles, the replacement uh, player is more valuable than Evaldo Jimenez right now? Um, I, I think it's hard to be less valuable than Evaldo Jimenez right now. Um, I don't, I don't see any internal options that I think are great. But if if we're talking about replacing Evaldo Jimenez, I think that's certainly possible with what we do have. I think it's probably likely that the Orioles would have an easier time swallowing the Ubaldo Jimenez pill if they weren't having some struggles elsewhere, namely with Kevin Gosman. Um, you know, some question marks while Chris Tillman's out. You know, while they're not at full strength, uh, they can't afford necessarily to have another question mark. But when some of those other questions get answered, I, I think time is short for Ubaldo. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, he's eaten up, what was it, $52 million over the last four seasons. And uh, not a lot of positive results there. But, you know, we stuck with him, I think, partly because of the contract, partly because of uh, not having any real replacement for him. But I think at this point with, you know, we're into the last year of his deal, cutting ties with him wouldn't be the end of the world. All right. I want to talk about another player that um, is somewhat in the doghouse for the Baltimore Orioles, and that's Hunsu Kim. Why is Hunsu Kim not playing in left field this evening? And why is Ryan Flaherty in left field? Uh, well, you know, the, the big story is, is Flaherty's numbers at Fenway Park and against Rick Porcello. Um, but I think that if you're going to try to squeeze him in the lineup for that reason, you bench someone like J.J. Hardy, who is a liability at this point in the field, uh, who's batting, what, 192, I think, coming into tonight. Um, I, I don't understand why, especially with two lefties and a knuckleballer coming up in this series, you would put Hunter Kim on the bench against Porcello. All right, I got to back um, up. I got to back up a second here. So I completely agree with yeah. you about JJ Hardy being a liability at the plate because I even posted something, and you know how much I hate bunting. I think we've had this conversation before. Of mm-hmm. I never want to bunt. But I'm like it's almost to the point where JJ Hardy should just be going up there and bunting because he's worse than a pitcher at this point. But from a fielding standpoint, I still feel like JJ Hardy. Um, turns such a nice double play out there with scope. Um, and also from a tagging standpoint, if there's any st- stolen bases, I feel like J.J. Hardy is still a really, really good slash above average shortstop. Look but a ninth inning in on Sunday's game. But from I completely agree with you from an, out, from, an, from an offensive standpoint. You're absolutely right. But I kind of agree with your other point, which is you think this would be a good opportunity to kind of bench Hardy, give him a day off because he's an old man like Jake, basically. So he has to take mm. days off occasionally. And it's a good opportunity to get Flaherty in there just to kind of take off some wear and tear and maybe clear the head a little bit. I just don't understand why Buck thinks that anybody can play left field at Fenway since we've seen years upon years of Boston Red Sox fail at playing left field any adequately well. Um, So just really interesting. And I come back to the whole aspect of hitter splits mean absolutely nothing against pitchers. I mean, the platoon situation sometimes matters. But we're seeing tonight Rick Porcello not be very good. Our Rick Porcello dominating Ryan Flaherty. So I don't know. Hunsu Kim has to get the opportunities eventually. He's doing great with on-base percentage. He's done well in the very rare instances that he has hit against left-handed pitching. I don't know what's going to take for Hunsu Kim to get out of the doghouse, but it seems like ever since he got that really big plate from spring training last year from Buck Showalter, Buck's held a grudge since he didn't share with him. So. Yeah, and I, I don't understand that grudge. I mean, uh, 
it kind of reminds me of the Nolan Reimold situation. Um, and I know obviously the talent level between Reimold and Kim is, is variable based on, you know, their offensive output. Um, but the one time I saw Kim hit in person that I recall against a left-handed pitcher was in spring training. Um, I was down there watching from uh, above the Orioles bullpen and he had an opportunity with the bases loaded and two outs against the lefty buck, let him hit. And, uh, he worked the count full and then, uh, hit a two run single. Um, and it, it reminds me of Reimold because with, with Buck only playing Kim against righties, and at that, you see him on the bench tonight against the righty, um, Buck was in love with playing Nolan Reimold against only left-handed pitching. When, if you would look at Nolan Reimold's splits, he was actually a better hitter against right-handed pitching than he was against left-handed pitching in a pretty similar sample size. So it, it almost makes me wonder if Buck doesn't even take the time to look at these splits. And I don't, I don't know offhand exactly how Kim performs against you know, has performed in his opportunities against left-handed pitching. But um, it, it makes me wonder if Buck really pays attention to those splits or not, or if he just, you know, prefers certain players over others. Well, you talk about Kim sitting tonight in uh, Boston. The Boston series is here upon us. Uh, Manny Machado hit a monster home run uh, while the Boston fans booed him. Do you see, uh, do you foresee anything going on in this series as a uh, continuation of the of the last series? Before I answer that, did that just happen? Machado yeah. hit a long home run. Machado just hit a long home run, and also Bundy just plunked um, Mookie Betts as well within the past five seconds, basically. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I um, I, I had the TV. I actually turned the game on right at the tail end of Scott Van Pelt um, making Kirch and Weave, which gets me every time. Um, <laughs> but I I, 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 had, I didn't know that Machado just hit that home run, um, although obviously it doesn't surprise me that he was booed afterward. Um, I don't know. I think um, it's, it's a weird situation because I feel like the people who were involved, Pedroia and Machado, were the two most laid back about it in the entire ordeal. Um, Boston media, I think, blew it out of proportion. Uh, their fans obviously always like something to complain about. And uh, it it was a bad slide by Machado, but it wasn't even a late one. Um, his momentum took him over the base. But if you look at the still frame of him going into his slide, the base isn't even in the picture yet. Um, so I don't think it was too late of a slide, and it most certainly was not intentional. I don't see any possible argument where you could say, that, oh, yeah, he was trying to spike Pedroia. There's a lot of mutual respect between those two players, as we saw with their exchanges afterwards. Um, I would like to think that it's going to blow over, but it wouldn't surprise me that if, you know, there's a pitch or two inside that it could reignite some of that flame. All right. Let's talk a little bit about some of the hot starts and slow starts to start this season. Um, Manny Machado, with the exception of that mammoth home run that he just hit, a little slow at the plate. You think there's a story there? Or do you think it's just a, a stretch of small sample here that happens to be at the beginning? You know, he's been hitting the ball hard, and uh, his batting average on balls in play is abnormally low. Then bad luck for him at this point. Um, you know, he's hitting the ball hard just at people. You saw Chase Headley uh, rob him of what would have been an RBI double for sure uh, that last game in New York. Um, he, he seems to be seeing the ball well. Um, I, I, I must admit I haven't been able to watch a whole lot of games being on the road. Um, a lot of our clinics are in the evening, so I, I've been following a lot on my phone. But... um you know, from what I understand and things I've seen on Twitter and, you know, advanced metrics talking about how he's hitting the ball, you know, he's making good contact. He's hitting the ball hard. It just happens to be at the wrong spots. So I think um, I think that's going to even out for him. Uh, and I think some of those balls he's hitting are going to start to drop. 
What about Trumbo? Do you see the same thing for him, or do you think maybe uh, we we spent thirty seven million dollars in the wrong place? You know, Trumbo, I'm not so sure about because um, as I'm sure you know, as you follow me on Twitter, I was um, aboard the "Don't Resign Mark Trumbo" train this off season um, until it you know got later in the off season and his price dropped and he seemed to be one of the last remaining options. Um, I, 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 one of the stats that I shared on Twitter, I think a couple times over the off season was that Trumbo last year had the lowest F war of any single season home run leader in the live ball era. And that's something that really concerned me because aside from the power numbers, he doesn't have a great deal of talent. Um, he doesn't seem to have a great eye. He seems like he's pulling his head out on a lot of swings. Um, he's a liability in the outfield, obviously. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure. I, I think it's too early to tell whether or not that that re-signing him was a waste of money. I was a fan of the deal at the time because of the low price tag. It was a lot lower than I think I anticipated, like, five years pushing $90 million. Um, So I was cool with it at the, at the price we got him. But I, I don't – I'm not a huge fan of his right now, I'll be honest. All right. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for, for joining us, for sharing your wit and wisdom you are making your way across the country to teach children to play baseball. Fine way to spend your time. But when you are spending time on the interwebs, where can people follow you? People can find me on Twitter at RyeGuyBlake. Um, I'm also uh, the man behind the Orioles Fan Problems account, uh, which recently hit 6,969 followers, which is a pretty great number if you nice. ask me. Um, at, at risk of being too not safe for work. Um but yeah, so those are my two Twitter accounts, uh, my personal and my um, messing around Orioles account. Um, I'm also writing and podcasting for Baseball Fam, that's F-A-M as in Michael, dot com. Um, I've had a lot of fun with that. We're actually getting ready to record a podcast tonight. Um, so I'm, I'm having a blast doing that. And other than that, you know, I'm just, I'm doing my thing. I'll be back in Baltimore uh, beginning of July and uh, looking forward to some more nights out at the yard because God knows I miss it over there. Well, hurry on back in Birdland. When he does get back, make sure you buy him a beer at the park. No, he will not pay you back if you buy him a beer and a pet beef. So, <laughs> hey, I'm going to get you. Don't worry. <laughs> bitter Scott is bitter. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. My pleasure, guys. Great talking to you. So, Jake, I've got a question for you. Are you buying this? The Orioles finished April with one of their best recorded months under Buck Showalter. Um, and, um, well, they post similar numbers in the past in, in months. Um, 19 and 9 last June, 18 and 10 in June of 2015, and then in July, 17 and 8 in July, 19 and 9 in August, and 17 and 10 in September. Um, some of those years ended up very well. 2015, of course, not was not one of them. Um but looking at the way this team is constructed and the way that they're winning their games, I can't say that I'm left with the warm and fuzzies um, that I would have had um, if this team was playing a little bit differently. Um, I hate to pull it out, but if you look at some things like Pythagorean record and base runs and stuff like that, um, this team looks like a 500 team, which is kind of what we expected this team to be coming into the season. 
And I know Birdland in general is hearing this and saying, well, the stats always go against us. You know, that's not the case. But these are just statistical models. And statistical models in the past has been pretty decent in predicting how the Orioles have done. Sometimes not in the playoff years. But overall, they do tell the story. And I guess my question, Jake, is does this really feel like a playoff team to you? Because it certainly doesn't feel like a playoff team to me. Well, I, I think you're asking the question, what does April mean? Yeah. Right? And and April, it's weird because we try to delude ourselves into thinking that we've seen enough baseball to draw conclusions that matter. Sure. But it's also not meaningless, right? right. Like, like, we see something, and that something is definitely not meaningless, so what do we make of it? Well, we've seen the Orioles be very good, and we've seen the Orioles, very lately, be very bad. Right. Right. So they've proven that they can do both. Right. They've proven that they have components that will allow them to win baseball games. And the question becomes, can they align the mirrors the way they're supposed to be and remember where they put the smoke machine? Or is this a flash in the pan? And I think what you need to do if you're the Orioles is you need to say, all right, you know, what's the date we brung? Let's keep bringing her out on the dance card. And that's good starts from the starters. I believe that the bullpen is going to be okay, right? We've seen the bullpen falter. Okay, that will happen. But overall, it's a strong piece. And oh, by the way, they're getting Zach Britton back. The hitting has been quiet. But I think over the course of 162 games, that hitting will be there. So the question is, is Dylan Bundy for real? Is Kevin Gosman just having a bad month? Is it possible that Chris Tillman can come back and be effective? Is Wade Miley no longer the pitcher that I want to fire into the sun? I think these are really the questions that that we're answering. I don't know any of the answers to that, but I love what I see from Dylan Bundy. And I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I love what I'm seeing from Wade Miley. Even when he's ugly, even when he doesn't have it going on, Wade Miley is leaving the team in a position in which they can come come back, battle back, and be in a position to win. Look, if he's a three or four starter in this league— they're not all going to be great. No, I, I understand that. And you look at Wade Miley, and it's the weirdness of weird, basically. Just pulling up some quick numbers, uh, 11.2 case per nine. I'm sorry, 11.03 case per nine. But the walk rate is at 5.52. So it's the complete aspect of I'm so ineffective that I'm actually decent in getting people to strike out. It's a very Abaldo-like is the best way to describe it when Abaldo is on. Um, I and I understand what you're saying. And I think one of the points that I really wanted to harp on, which you said, which was these games matter just as much now as they will later on this year. So we haven't seen Orioles teams historically under Buck Walter do very well during April's, except for last year. Last year, for example, the Orioles came out and had that seven win streak. And we said, great, you need to get those seven wins because if you have seven wins and you need to have 87 wins by the end of the year, now you just need to play 500 baseball all the way through. Of course, you don't want to just play 500 baseball all the way through because what we saw last year is you end up in a one-run one game. But I think you look at this team and say, all right, we knew that this team was going to hover around 500 and there was a chance that they could be six or seven games better than 500 and that might put them in a chance for a wild card. And to a certain regard, the Orioles have gotten lucky. The Orioles have fallen into a lot of one-run games that they have won. And eventually that streak will snap the other way and the Orioles will not have this 630 winning percentage. They're going to have a one month that's going to be a 480. 
but it's the aspect of as long as you have more months again that have more 630s and 480s, you're going to set yourself up to be a pretty good situation. Um, it's a long season. There are going to be bad months ahead. And the thing is, is that when we looked at this team to begin with, at the beginning of the season, before any games have been played, we said in order to make the playoffs, everything has to break for this team. Sure. Right. Everything has to go right based on the way they're constructed, based on the way the rest of the league looks. And when you have a 15 and 8 May, uh, April, you don't have to be perfect sure. in May. Right. And the more wins you can stack early, the less perfection is required of you. And if you can get the ball rolling, sometimes that defies sure. all logic. Sometimes winning clubs win because they won yesterday. Right. I'm not saying they're going to do that. I'm just saying this start is not meaningless. Let's see if those things, the components, continue to happen or those components keep not happening. And I think by the time we end up at the end of June, we'll know what kind of baseball club we've got to watch this year. Sure. And I think the other thing that I think was important that you mentioned is there are certain players that are hot right now. and There are certain players that are cold right now. And I'm going to come back to 2014. I remember talking about 2014 and Nelson Cruz being on fire to start the season and then Nelson Cruz waned off. And who picked up Nelson Cruz's slack was Steve Pierce, who was picking up his slack. Then Steve Pierce waned off for about a month or two. Who picked up his pace? Manny Machado picked it up. And then Manny started to cool off again. And Nelson picked it up as well. It's this whole situation of, you know, at this time, Kevin Gossman is absolutely cold. But in the meantime, Dylan Bundy and Wade Miley have put up some pretty incredible numbers and have been tied together with also Brad Brock, Pritching Smith, and Visipitch Baseball. The offense, again, Manny Machado has not been great. Mark Trumbull has been terrible. But in their stead, Adam Jones, Jonathan Scope, and Wellington Castillo have all put up some really nice numbers. There's a good chance in May that those guys are going to go back to, let's not say bad numbers, but let's call it you know maybe below average for what you would expect for them. But it's going to be that situation where the rest of the Orioles are going to have to respond accordingly. I come back to 2015. In 2015, in June, the Orioles posted an 18 and 10 record. I believe their weighted runs created plus four. The team was like 123. And I was like, the Orioles can't be beat right now. They're the best team in baseball. And then they limp their way into the All Star break and had a terrible July and a terrible August. And they didn't, you know, get into the playoffs that year. It's fine to have these months, but again, you can't have those terrible ones that transpond down to it. And yes, there's ups and downs on this team right now. But as long as somebody else takes the ups when that other group goes down, this team is going to be in good shape, um, and we'll just have to see what transpires. But the fact that Trumbo and Machado are both down right now, and Kevin Gossman are down, and those, Chris Tillman, and Chris Tillman, and Zach Britton, those guys have a talent level that would scream, yes, they should be able to come back and perform at a superstar level to lead this team. Yeah. Steve Pierce in 2014, you would never have convinced me one way or the other that he would be able to basically lead this team. But he had such an offensive performance at that time where he, to a certain regard, blew my mind. I still can't imagine that, that Steve Pierce was, I think, the fourth best player on the team player the, uh, for the 2014 team. When when you're built like the Orioles, right, you have to, in order to win 96 games like they did in 2014, you have to have good players playing well. Yeah. And you need to catch lightning in a bottle with some fringe players. Sure. And I think at this point, we just need to see who those fringe players are and whether they come through and whether or not we get what we expect from our stars. So what you're saying is um, it's too early to say whether they're a playoff team, but at least they're setting themselves up well right now um, and, and fitting the story of if they were going to be a playoff team, this is the way that they're supposed to become a playoff team. 
Well, let me tell you. Well, let me, let me let me phrase it this way. So what I'm saying is your prediction that she made at the beginning of the season was wrong. Again. Are you shocked? I'm not really shocked at all. I don't know that I can say that the Orioles are a playoff team. But I know that there's a much better conversation happening here than there is in Toronto. Oh, ouch, 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 ouch. Well, with that, um, that was a pretty deep blow. I think it's time we go ahead and do some deep cuts and see uh, how good Jake English really is at uh, picking out his music. Jake, are you ready for your favorite segment of all time? I'm like the last year's Caleb Joseph at this game. <laughs> I think you might be able to get this one. I'm I'm really hoping that you get this one. So I'm going to start you off with a clue, okay? Okay. So this band had a revolving cast of members, but was famous for being the house band at Stax Records in the 1960s. During that time, they even gained the fandom of the Beatles, with John calling the group Book a Table and the Maitre D's. And the group even recorded an instrumental cover version of Abbey Road calling the album Malcolmore Avenue. Anything? No. Let me hear the song. All right. Here's the song, Jake. No lyrics, just instrumental. I have no idea. You've heard this song though before. Really? I don't know what you think it is that I do at night. Just go to my encyclopedia of, of random music. I'm very disappointed with you. What is this we're listening to? This is Booker T and the MGs. Time is tight. You've heard this one, haven't you? No, no. I've just I was trying to think of instrumental groups from the sixties and that was the only one I could think of, but all I know by them is you know, glass onion or whatever it's called. Yeah. Green onions. Green onions. Now see if I would have said green onions, because I was thinking about putting that as one of the clues, but I was like, no, I could get it right away. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I guess we're talking stats again this week. So we alluded to it earlier when we were talking to Ryan Blake about Mark Trumbo and um some of the numbers that um he's putting out there. Um, the one thing that I think is really interesting um, is on BaseballSavant.com, they basically track all the StatCast data that's coming out this year. Um, and one of the ones that I personally find interesting is barrel measurements. And barrels are well-struck batted balls. Um, and specifically, I wanted to look at ones that were well-struck batted balls with a batting average or slugging value of 0.5 or 1.50. So these are balls that every single time, they're more likely going to be hits. Um, the one numbers that really kind of interest me was Mark Trumbo. So Mark Trumbo currently is putting out a barrels of 4.2% per balls put into play. Jake, similar people around there would be JT Riomoto, um, Evan Gaddis, Joe Maurer, Jason Wirth, and more importantly, Jake, uh, JJ Hardy is pretty close to it at 3.3%. So again, not quite Mark Trumbo, um, but let's put him in the same tier slash category. And again, this isn't completely that important because like Jose Altuve, for example, has a similar barrel to J.J. Hardy, but we know Jose Altuve is a slap hitter. But with Trumbo being a power hitter, 
and being almost in a slap hitter category, it's not looking really good so far early in the season. So I don't think this is a situation where Trumbo's getting unlucky, so people are making some good defensive balls. I think there's a lot of weak contact balls that Mark Trumbo currently has at the plate. Can I dumb this down for a second? Sure. Why is he still hitting cleanup? Why is he so high in the lineup? When you have a player that is struggling, and Mark Trumbo is struggling, right? and I hope, I hope he'll get it righted, why isn't he getting it righted in the seventh hole? Can I ask you another question? Why is Mark Trumbo not getting flack from Baltimore fans like Chris Davis gets flack all the time for striking out and not doing so well? Chris Davis does an excellent job at drawing walks and having a great on-base percentage, but when he strikes out, people are just like, oh, classic Davis. But when Trumbo grounds out weekly to shortstop, people are just like, okay, maybe next time. I think it's because Trumbo is the add-on in the organization. Okay. You know, I think that, that Davis is at the center of it. But let's let's go back to barrels. So it's the $100 million thing, basically. It is the $100 million question. Let me go back to the barrels. Sure. Are, are we going to normalize this stat at any point? Yes, barrels are normalized, actually, at this point. All right. So what is a what is a good barrels? Uh, so good barrels, basically, is a ball that it has hit at 95 miles per hour and has an, a um, launch angle of anywhere between 20 to 30 degrees. But there's no measurement. There's no, like, you know, seven. Uh, no, there's no um, weighted value similar to, like, a weighted runs, weighted runs created plus. That would be interesting. Um, I'll tell you what. I'll do some digging this week um, and come up with another deep cut so that you can fail miserably next week. And maybe we can talk about this next week. I like it. All right. Well, with that, let's go ahead and dive into the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly, where we pick meaningless stats out and just say, this guy's going to be absolutely trash, or this guy's going to be absolutely on fire for the next week. So, Jake, why don't you go ahead and start us off with the good, the bad, and the ugly? I'd like to cover my good for this past week, and this may surprise some people. My good is Buck Showalter. Buck Showalter, I feel, has been the the subject of a lot of conversation in, uh, in the past week or so. But this is why Buck Showalter is good. Buck Showalter got himself in the era of replay, in the era of wave four from the bench, in the most genteel part of the game we have yet in, uh, uh, in, in the most genteel portion of the game that we have experienced, Buck Showalter got himself ejected in a good old-fashioned argument on Sunday. I like that. Buck Showalter, thank you for bringing a little excitement back to the game. All right. So, Jake, I've got a theme going for this for this, this segment. I'm frightened, but go ahead. All of my good, bad, and ugly is going to come from one game this weekend. And you know what it's going to be. So my good is going to go to Miguel Michael Givens, who did an amazing job of coming in and pitching two innings scoreless. Um, just did an amazing job in terms of uh, command, um, striking folks out. Um, Michael Givens is a unsung herald. Being able to come in and pitch his multi-inning, you know how I feel about multi-inning relief pitchers. Yeah. He is the one individual that is keeping the bullpen intact and allowing it to get to Brock and O'Day in a lot of games. If the starters can go 
in through six innings, and Gibbons can come in through the seventh and part of the eighth or through the entire eighth, like Donnie Hart can fill in the bottom of the eighth as well, that allows you to basically say, we're going to pitch either Brock or Day in the ninth, and it works out great. So Michael Gibbons, unsung hero, um, he gets my good for the week, and also great job on, on Friday night. All right, my bad for this week is Vidal Nuno. Um, if you are unable to perform in junk time, if you are unable to keep the game far away enough that you can't be trusted to come in with a gigantic lead, you can't be on a major league bullpen, which I think we've seen. Vidal Nuno was given a spot and did nothing with it, and he was bad this week. All right, so my bad for the week is going to go to... I'm going to give it to Brad Brock, unfortunately. I mean, it was just a train wreck, and you saw it coming. And we've it, it, the walks. It was just the walks, and it just... Why can't you throw strikes when you can, you know, you have to throw strikes. You don't want to put batters on and you put batters on for the Yankees. Brad Brock, you get my bad for this week. I know it's not going to happen a lot, but for this week, you get my bad. All right. My ugly Scott, we're, we're only what three weeks into this season. I'm not sure if we're there yet, but I think we're on the cusp. I want to retire Abaldo Jimenez from ugly consideration. Let's give him the Lifetime Achievement Award in his third consecutive season. But to say, if it's a Lifetime Achievement Award, how does it go and reset every single season? Because with his contract status or whatever it is, can we give that him like Susan him- Lucci status and just send him off into? It's a much better way. Of putting it. <laughs> and about four percent of our of our listeners know what you're talking about. Uh, Ryan Blake is going to be really confused tomorrow when he's listening to this. I think it's because you know he's got like nine lives or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my ugly was Baldo Jimenez just super super frustrating to watch and uh, I hope this is the last time I complain about him all right so my ugly is going to go to um, everything about Friday night you just knew the writing was on the wall and there were moments uh, of watching right behind home plate um, throughout this entire weekend in reality there was one time where there was an Orioles fan sitting right behind home plate I think it was on Sunday's game and I just felt for the guy because he like at the very end of the game is like he's standing up and like clapping. And then the Orioles blow the lead. It's four to four. And when they come to extra innings, he literally is just sitting there stone cold being like, gosh, I'm ready for my torture to come on. And then there's moments like where this like little fat hobbit comes down into like the first row. And he's wearing like a Mets. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's wearing a Giants like jersey, but he's got a Yankees thing underneath. And you can see that this kid has never seen failure before from his baseball team and is just expecting something glorious to happen. And I just want to go and punch him in the face. And I know it's terrible to want to go punch a child in his face, but in all honesty, I look at his mongoloid face and I think to myself, it probably wouldn't do him any harm. So you were not a fan of this weekend's games. From I was what I'm, what I'm not hearing. a fan of this week's game because here's the thing. It was like taking a step back into time in terms of that dark period that we talked to Ryan Blake about of that rebuilding period, you saw a Yankees team that was, you know, burgeoning on the point of being like, Oh my gosh, this is what the future is. And you saw a team in the Orioles that basically was starting to fall apart and make all the wrong moves. Even Sunday's game, for example, with Logan Verrett throwing to second base to try to get the bunt attempt and basically saying, Oh, I'm not going to take the free out. I'm going to try to get the guy at second base. There was so much, bad baseball this week by the Baltimore Orioles. I'm amazed 
that they were able to salvage that game on Sunday. They just couldn't get out of their own way. They couldn't. I mean, they I mean, they scored 11 runs on Friday and right. lost the game, yeah. right? But I think, you know, between Verrett and O'Day, O'Day was the one that frustrated me. Mm-hmm. Not attacking the hitters. Sure. They, they basically gave the Yankees as many opportunities to beat them as they possibly could. It reminded me of O'Day's first game coming in the season where he kind of nibbled mm-hmm. and nibbled and nibbled. And it's like, you're not getting that outside call. You're going to have to challenge them. If you don't think your stuff is good enough, then you shouldn't be out there pitching today. <sighs> Just really frustrating baseball. And hopefully we don't see too much of it. But it's really bad to see bad baseball when it's against the New York Yankees. And Jake, honorable mention, by the way, for an ugly. I think I mentioned to you off the air at one point that I said, you know what? I, I kind of enjoy um, watching the talent on the Yankees and watching Aaron Judge's home runs. And I must admit, it is actually pretty impressive to see Aaron Judge hit the monster home runs he he does hit. But gosh darn it, I will never root for the Yankees. This is absolutely, just watching that fan base and seeing how they react is absolutely disgusting. Boo the Yankees, everybody. Boo them, boo them, boo them. That's all I got. Jake, do you have a blow in the save this week? I kind of feel like you just did it. No, no. We 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 have a format here. We have to stick to, towards a format. So do you have a blow in the save? No. <sighs> wait, wait, wait. I do have one. All right. Today is May 1st, right? It's May 1st. It is May 1st. The Orioles and, and the rest of the, the league have played, what, 20-something games? Yeah, that sounds about right. 162 in the season, right? Sure, that sounds about right. So we we have very very few games that we've played at this point. Yes. Why is the All Star ballot out? Um. Get your votes in. Insurance, right? We have all of the technology in the world, which means that we could in fact shorten the voting period. What? We don't have to fill them out, punching holes and hanging chads at the ballpark. We can do it online, which means you can open voting for two weeks. And that would be perfectly fine for people to vote for the big franchises in Major League Baseball. I hate that all-star voting goes most of the first half. It's obnoxious. It is obnoxious, but it gives something for the Kansas City folks to work on this year. It's true. They are going to be bored. All right. Well, with that, I think it's time we go ahead and close out this show Jake, go ahead. Well, that's our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is a proud member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You can find this show on baltimoresportsreport.com slash network and also on baseballtalkradio.com, the home of great baseball talk. Bird's Eye View is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. We'd appreciate a rating and review. It really helps establish what's called social proof about the show and encourages new listeners to check it out. Engage with us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Google Plus, and Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL, but mainly just a bunch of gifts. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, enjoy May. It's at least better than that Yankee series. And I'll bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's.
You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.